Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. I want to welcome you officially to our 11 o'clock service. Um, We are in the Gospel of... Matthew, that's right. We should remember that we've been there probably for five or six months now. We'd like to go through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And the reason we do that is to help your pastor. So I I know exactly what I'm going to be preaching on. But but the other reason, the more important reason, is so that we don't miss anything. We want to take the entire counsel of God. We want to take the uh, admonitions and the warnings as well as the blessings. Otherwise, I'd just be preaching on prophecy. You know me. So, so it's good that we do it this way. Um, we are in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be there for a little while. That's chapters 5, 6, and 7. And what's interesting, if you really take a look at what Jesus has been talking about, starting with the Beatitudes, is it's really a matter of the heart. Jesus believes that his followers, those people that follow Jesus Christ, that call ourselves Christians, are to be different from the world. We are to have a different attitude. We're supposed to truly love one another. When he goes through the commandments, he says, you may have heard, but I tell you. What does he do? He constantly raises the bar. He's also telling us that it's the spirit of the law, not what we're supposed to just perform. Last week, we, we talked about the choices, selecting the right choice. Remember, we said we had a, a choice in the way that we fast, a choice in the way that we pray, a choice in how we accumulate our earthly treasures. Jesus said to, to store up your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust don't corrode and where thieves don't break in and steal. So Jesus is giving us choices. Now, today, we have an interesting talk. It's going to be our message. It's called Do Not Worry. Do not worry. And you'll see there's a choice that we have today as well. We'll be in uh, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. So we'll begin in uh, verse 25. You can follow along on the screen or in, on the, uh, in your bulletin as well. Verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry. There's those words. About your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Verse 31, Jesus continues, he says, Therefore do not worry. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Again, remember last week we talked about right choices and we said that there's a right choice to make. Well, today I'm not going to teach you the right way to worry. 
Jesus very clearly says, do not worry. So we will go through these scriptures, and you're going to see there are choices that we have, but it's not the right way to worry at all. You know, we're just going to pick it up in verse 25. I'm not going to show all the slides because we just went through them. But in verse 25, Jesus says this. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, when Jesus says that, he's talking about the very basic necessities of life, isn't he? He's talking about food, drink, and clothing. These are, these are essentials. Now, what's interesting is today, we really don't worry too much about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink. Maybe you're going to a nice restaurant, you worry that your husband's going to take you to some nice place, but that's not, that's, that's not true in ancient days. There was a true worry they had sometimes about the food and about their water. But here we are living in the Orlando area, right? Not only in Orlando, but in celebration. Now, did you know that there's 75 million visitors that come to Florida every year? 75 million visitors, most of them coming to the Orlando area. It's more than the next three destinations combined. The next three destinations combined don't equal what the number of people that come and visit Central Florida to, to, to Disney and some of the attractions we have here. You know, in the ancient world, there was a genuine concern about the food and what we eat and how we drink. Now, we think today that, that hunger is often tied to poverty, which is true, but did you know that there's actually enough food that's produced in the world to feed everybody? The problem we have today is, is distribution, and often distribution channels are cut short because of warfare, because of tribal warfare, of people trying to take from others and trying to punish others. And because of that, there's, there's a lot of starvation. There's a lot of poverty in this world, but, but it's not supposed to be that way. You know, actually, the thing that affected the ancient world was a thing called famine. And we have a story in the Bible of a famine. Do you remember that? In Genesis chapter 1, Joseph is now a slave in Egypt. And the Pharaoh has a dream. In fact, he has two dreams. And in the two dreams, Joseph gives him the interpretation of the dreams. And in chapter 41 of Genesis, Joseph says, Oh, Pharaoh, the two dreams mean the same thing. And Joseph then goes on to explain to the Pharaoh that in his dreams, he, he, he understood that there was going to be seven years of plenty. Seven years that they'll have more than enough. And after that, there'll be seven years of famine. And Joseph then told him the wisdom of the dream, which was to take the seven years of plenty and make sure that you store enough so that when the seven years of famine come, you'll have enough for all of the Egyptians and the people around them. So the, the Pharaoh thinks this is a wonderful idea, and he rewards Joseph. And, and this is what it says in Genesis chapter 41. In verse 53, it says, The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. But all of Egypt began to feel the famine, and the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all of the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Verse 56, then the famine had spread over the whole country. Joseph ordered all, opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere, everywhere. Talk about God's provision. 
God's provision. You know, it's interesting when it comes to Joseph. You know, I like Bible history and I like archaeology. And there's archaeological evidence for Joseph in Egypt. Did you know that? It's kind of cool that they have evidence that Joseph was actually in Egypt, extra biblical, not what the Bible says, but what they found. They found, for example, um, El Haram, which is an Egyptian newspaper, reported that they had found what they thought were trinkets, these coins that actually had um, pictures of cows on them, cows on them, they thought relating to the time of Joseph. They dated to the time of Joseph. So they were thinking that these were coins that were minted, talking about the seven years of, of plenty followed by seven years of famine. Another finding that they reported was based on hieroglyphics that they found, that they saw that the Egyptians had prepared for a famine by uh, storing grain in storehouses. And they also found that the Hittites, another ancient empire that typically was enemies with the Egyptians, had not. The story was, according to these hieroglyphics, that the queen of the Hittites had to go to the Egyptians to purchase grain and other food supplies during a severe famine. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Now, they couldn't make sure that this was exactly the story of Joseph because they went on and said, the archaeologists tell us that there were famines were very common during that time period. So they weren't sure whether it referred back to the 18th century, back in the Bronze Age, or it was some other time. But it's a great example for us to understand what Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink. You see, God has a, a plan. God had a very specific plan for the Egyptians, which included Joseph and his brothers. You see, through this plan, not only did God provide for the Egyptians, but he provided for Isaac and Jacob, I'm sorry, Jacob and his 12 sons, the 12 sons that would migrate to Egypt and become the 12 tribes of Israel. This was part of God's plan. God had a plan, and he revealed his plan to Joseph so that the plan could be fulfilled. God says, don't worry. Rely on my plan. Let me tell you a story. You like stories, right? You like these stories. This story is actually more about my wife, Carol, than it is about me. Back in, back in 2010, a few years ago, I was the campus pastor for a, a church in the Nashville area, Life Church. We loved living in Nashville. We loved everything about Nashville. We loved our church. There was four or 500 people in our church. I was the lead pastor there. It's a great church. I loved our ministry. We just had bought a new, uh, just rented a new apartment. Um, Carol had a very interesting job at the local Target store in HR and liked her coworkers. It was everything was going just fine according to plan. Then my boss sat down with me and told me that my job was not going to continue. That there were jobs in headquarters in finance and in business, but my job as a pastor at that local church was coming uh, to an end. And it was a you can imagine, it was a great occasion to worry. We really wanted to stay in Nashville. That wasn't our plan. Our plan was to, to stay there. So we, we started talking to certain people and talked to some of the pastors to see if, if something would open up. But let me tell you the story. So it was a Monday morning. And on Monday mornings, I had a Bible study that met at 8 o'clock in the morning with a group of guys. In fact, I have a, a picture of it here. I'm the goofy-looking guy in the back. So, uh, so we had this Bible study. It would meet at a Panera, really close to where Carol would work. And my Bible study started at 8 o'clock. Her, her work started at 9 o'clock, so she would come with me. Now, she didn't come in with the Bible study. She would sit at another booth somewhere, and she would bring her Bible and her devotional. She was doing streams in the desert at the time. And she opened up her devotional, and the, uh, the Bible verse that day you might recognize. It was verse 28. So why do you worry, Carol? 
<laughs> about clothing. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God, God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Is that something? So Carol is reading this while I'm in my Bible study. At close to 9 o'clock, my Bible study ends. I pick up Carol. We drive over to Target, and she tells me, oh, but by the way, the Bible verse I was reading was talking about worry. I just feel that we're not supposed to worry that God's got some kind of a plan. So Carol takes this verse to heart, but of course she goes to work, and in her office, on her desk, are flowers, which is very unusual because I never send her flowers, and nobody else should be sending her flowers. So one of her girlfriends walks in not shortly after that, and says, oh, do you like the flowers? And Carol starts, are they from you? They're so pretty, that's so nice. And she said, well, they're from my garden, and I was just thinking of you, and I know they smell so nice, so I thought I'd just give you some flowers. And Carol says, I love flowers. I know nothing about flowers. What are, kind of flowers are these? They were lilies. They were lilies. So Carol has enough spiritual intelligence immediately to understand that God is getting her attention. She just read that God provides like the lilies in the field and here are lilies on her desk and we've got this quandary. It was a great opportunity, won't get me wrong, a great opportunity to worry, but we tried not to worry. Now, we, we did a few things. We tried to do certain, certain things, looking for different jobs and stuff like that, but I can tell you within two months after that, I was in my new job at a pastorate in, Boca, in, in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. It's how we ended up moving to Florida. It wasn't our plan. It was God's plan. But we ended up moving to Florida, and from there we ended up here in celebration. So lilies. <laughs> lilies. It wasn't part of our plan, but it was part of God's provision. So we'll take a look at these passages today that you have. They're actually the, the words in red. They're not the words in red on your screen, but they're the words in red, meaning the words of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that they're any more important than the rest of the Bible, but I think we need to understand that Jesus is trying to get your attention. And there's three different directives we pull out of this. The first one is God's rule, which is do not worry. The second is God's purpose for the rule. And the third one is God's appropriate alternative. I love that. God's appropriate alternative. God doesn't tell you don't worry. He tells you what else you should be doing. So let's take a look at the very first rule, which is do not, rule, do not worry. So we see this three times in our passages today. In verse 25, it says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. And then in verse 31, it says, therefore do not worry, Jesus said, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? And then in verse 34, towards the end of the passage, Jesus says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, here's, here's the thing about worry. People like to worry. People not only like to worry, they think they should worry. It's how they show concern, how they show care. Often, it's a very cultural thing. Now, psychology today basically tells us that there's three main areas that we worry about. We would have known this without reading psychology today. The first one is the health. We worry about our health. It says, as well as the health of our loved ones, illnesses, injuries, and growing old. Can you relate? Growing old can be a significant source of anxiety. 
The second area, according to psychology today, that we worry about is our finances, or better yet, it's money, money, money. We either don't have enough or we can't figure out what to do with the stuff we do have. Often we get ourselves into debt, and as a result, even though we have money, 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 we don't have enough money to pay for the debt, and it's a source of anxiety, a great source of frustration. The third area is relationships, and I understand this. This includes everything. It includes our family, our friends, our romantic partners, our in-laws and our outlaws, our neighbors, our coworkers, our marriages, they're all relationships, and we worry about the relationships. How well are they going? How well am I being perceived? Am I really liked? Am I being included? It can be a source of, of stress, and we understand that. But God tells us something quite simple. He says, do not worry. Just do not worry. Now, here's the thing. There's a, there's a reason sometime for a concern. Sometimes something happens in your life that God expects you to react. You need to respond, right? There's a, a stimulus and you need a response. That's understandable. There's, sometimes there's a godly sense of responsibility, but there's a difference between a godly sense of responsibility and an ungodly, untrusting worthy, worry. An untrusting, ungodly sense of worry masquerades often as something that's honorable. Culturally, there are many that are taught that we show our care by our worry. You know, maybe you were taught that way. You know, maybe your, your mother always worried about you as a child. And she always told you she worried about you as a child. And she constantly worried about you, whatever you were doing, whether you were jumping rope or you were climbing trees or you're driving your first car or you were out on a date or whatever it was, your mother worried about you. And you've learned that you're supposed to worry about your children as well. It's, it's cultural. But re this reminds me so much, however, of what Jesus said about the show, that really you're not accomplishing anything. Jesus said, if you're going to pray, what to do? Go into your room and pray in secret so that your father who sees in secret can reward you openly. We have to be careful that we're not worrying culturally to let others know that we care, that we're telegraphing the same types of things that they've telegraphed to us. Jesus says, uh, you don't want to fast in order to be seen by others. Remember, he said to anoint your face so that others can't see that you're fasting. Well, I think it's the same thing when you have a godly concern. Go about your life, but don't show people that you are worrying. Instead, pray. Do something that's much more, much more beneficial. You know, life can be scary. And I realize that. Just this last week, we had the shooting in Nashville. I'm even talking about Nashville today. Shooting in Nashville with six people, three children, including Haley Scruggs. You know who Haley Scruggs was? She was the nine-year-old daughter of the pastor who was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and they're having a memorial service for her this week. It can be, it can be scary. But Jesus says, even when it's scary, don't worry. He's got other things for you to do. The next item, the next directive was God's purpose for the rule. I love this. You know, there's a saying that we borrowed, I think, from the business world, and we use it today in our everyday world, and the, and the, the saying is, that's above my pay grade. Have you heard that? You might have used it yourself. That's above my pay grade. Well, what do you mean by use when you say, that's above my pay grade? Well, it's a way of saying, what you're asking me about is above my area of expertise. It's above my management level. There's nothing I can do to impact the outcome. Why are you bothering to ask me? I have no influence 
in the ultimate outcome of whatever you want to have to do. I have no authority in that area. It's a great way of looking at things that we tend to worry about. There, it's above our pay grade. Well, who's grade? Who can fix it? God can. God doesn't have a pay grade. There's no pay grades for God. They don't, they don't go up that high. They don't, they don't climb that high. God is, is God. He's eternal. He's the one that knows the beginning from the end. He's the one that has the plan for you. He's the one that provides for the lilies of the field. He's the one that provides for the birds of the air. He's the one that's qualified to make, to make the decision. So what do we do instead? Well, I think it's pretty clear. If you read the Bible, God wants us to focus on the things we can focus on. God wants us to be moral, to be ethical, to have compassion, to truly care for our neighbor, to show kindness towards others, to practice humility and gratitude, to, to use our talents to make a positive difference in the world. Those are things you should be doing rather than, than worrying. Jesus says, is life not more than food? You know, we're not supposed to be some kind of animal like we see the birds diving into the ponds here in celebration, searching for fish all day long. They, they never tire because they're constantly searching for food, but we're not that kind of an animal. We have time during our day to focus on the things that God wants us to focus on. God will take care of the, the rest. You have eternal matters to pursue. Let's, let's go back to the verse that I mentioned when Carol was reading her devotional, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. I say to you that even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like this. You know, here's, here's the thing. When I tell that story, and I can tell you truthfully, we had no idea what was going to be the outcome. We had no idea where we were going to go. We really wanted to stay in Nashville. That was really our plan. We could have easily done an Abraham, right? Like Abraham, remember, God promised that he was going to have a, a son, his only son. And he decided that maybe the way to get that was through Hagar. You know, Sarah's maid and Ishmael was born. But that wasn't, he was trying to make it work. And it was so easy for us sometimes to try to make things work rather than to allow God to finish out his plan for us and allow him to do that. We didn't know what, this is saying, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And I think that's a good response for us when we have this tendency to, to worry about our situation. God had a plan. Just as God would provide for the lilies of the field, just as God clothed the grass that's here one day and gone the next, God has a, a plan. Let's move on to the third directive. The third directive is God's appropriate alternative. God's appropriate alternative. We find this in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 6. It's in your bulletins. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, God tells you that this is the uh, appropriate and better response to situations in your life where you're prone to worry. Seek first the kingdom of God. This must be the rule of our life when we're trying to figure out our alternatives. When we understand that things are above our pay grade, we seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't just tell us to stop worrying. You see, you can't do that. You can't just stop doing something without giving a better alternative. God says, instead of worry, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. We want you to replace the bad habit with a good habit. And if you practice the good habit enough, the old habit will fade away. Replace one habit, the bad habit of worrying, with a better habit. So how do we do that? I mean, practically, how do you do that? When, you, when you're prone to worry, what do you do? Well, pick up your Bible. Pick up your daily devotional. Pick up your daily bread and begin to pray. 
You pray, you fast, you have thanksgiving, you give, you, you invest your life in the life of others, you look forward to the coming kingdom of God. Look how Jesus concludes the lesson today. In verse 34, it says, and all these things will be added to you. Isn't that wonderful? You see, it's not even the things that you're worried about, that you're concerned about. It's all the other things, all the other provisions that God has for you that you can't even think or imagine. God has plans for you, and your worrying is going to disrupt that plan. God has a plan for you. Just let God bring it to fruition. God promises heavenly treasure. We think about food and drink, and God wants to give us heavenly treasure. This choice to seek first the kingdom of God is the fundamental choice really for every Christian. You think about that? It's the fundamental choice when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. In the Gospel of John, John starts off with this, this gospel with this, this wonderful, um, almost like a Genesis account, almost poetry of who God was in eternity and that God is, and Jesus is greater of all things. And then it says this, it says, but as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of, but of God. This is why Jesus is saying, let the worry be. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. You see, God doesn't want you to live in the past worrying about the things you did, or doesn't want you to live in the future worrying about the things that haven't even happened yet. God wants you to live in the present. There's things you can do in the present that God wants you to do, to, do, to live, to love, to bless, to pray, to encourage, to cheer on each other, to help your neighbor, to be able to extend a helping hand to somebody that that really needs it, that doesn't understand the provisions of God. That's the things that you can do today rather than worrying. You know, Jesus says sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Isn't that true? I mean, it doesn't matter what you're not worrying about today. There's going to be things tomorrow that you don't want to worry about either. Every single day, there's going to be things that come into your life. There's going to be opportunities for you to stop, and you have a choice. You can either worry about those things or you can lay those things at the feet of Jesus and understand that God has a plan. And just as God provides for the birds in the air and the lilies of the field, he will provide for you. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.